Hi, this is Elaine. We've hosted guest experts on impactparents.com every week since 2011. And since 2017, they've been podcast style interviews. Now we're dipping into those archives to share these fascinating conversations with leading world experts on the Parenting with Impact podcast. Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Elaine and Diane are certified coaches with personal experience raising children with challenges such as ADHD, anxiety, and more, and extensive experience in guiding parents to raise their complex kids with confidence and calm. On the podcast, Elaine and Diane interview experts, bringing you cutting-edge information about your child's challenges, teach you real-life strategies to create lasting change, and demonstrate how coaching can guide you to parent your complex kids one conversation at a time. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's Elaine Taylor-Klaus with Impact ADHD, your online resource for parenting complex kids. And we are back with another episode of Parenting with Impact, What Your Kids Wish You Knew. And we're doing something a little different today. My guest is Meredith Walters, and she is not what we would classify. She's kind of on that bridge of almost still a young adult, but maybe not quite so much anymore, but is really going to talk about her experiences as she was a young adult, um, as a young person and young adult coming to terms with managing complex issues. And so I think it's going to be a great conversation. And again, our focus, Meredith, is always sort of talking to parents about what their kids wish they had known so that they can sort of modify and do differently moving forward. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So let's start with talking about what is it that makes you complex? What are some of the challenges you faced growing up that you may have learned to manage as, a, as an adult? But what were some of the challenges you were facing? Yeah. And so just to be clear, I, so I am 40. So I, I'm, I would say I'm not a young adult. But um, that was generous of you to put me on the bridge. <laughs> So I've had a lot of distance um, and time to grow and get perspective on it, which I think is important to remember. But I have also recently gone through and read all my childhood journals. So um, it's fresh in my mind. So I would say what makes me complex is I kind of when I was a preteen started having a lot of ups and downs and eventually the downs got bigger and more frequent. And eventually I went into full on depression throughout dealt with that and then eventually kind of realized I have anxiety too and at some point had panic attacks and so I've had um, the gamut of depression and anxiety for okay okay so depression anxiety sort of downs panic attacks some of your sort of what we would call classic complex issues and I don't say that to minimize it just actually to normalize it right Mm -hmm. um because that's something that a lot of us have gone through, a lot of our kids go through. So let's let's sort of go back to the beginning. Tell us the story, because it sounds like a lot of these issues didn't really come up for you until you were in your early teens. So mm-hmm. tell us your story. What are some of the ways that it started? Yeah, so I had, in many ways, I had kind of the best childhood you could ask for. You know, I had a stable family, loving parents, loving sister that we fought quite a bit. But yeah, and so it was always kind of a mystery to me what happened. But when I was somewhere around 12, 13, 14, I started to just feel down more. And by the time I was 16, I would just have crying, like episodes of just 
sobbing for hours and I didn't know why and I couldn't stop and just really felt bad. Like there was less and less um, joy in the world, less and less light, more and more darkness and just kind of despair and hopelessness and fear because I didn't understand why I was feeling these things. And then eventually it Before you get to eventually, let me just hold us there for a minute if that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you were going through these episodes of of crying and sort of, I I love that metaphor of things just got darker, right? I say as the light is coming in on my face, right? (laughs) So how did you handle those, those moments? Like, was your sister, your mom, or your family aware? Were you hiding? Like, how did that manifest? Yeah, I couldn't really hide it. I've never been good at hiding it. So they, they saw it. They knew it was happening. They were, I knew they were worried about it. They would sometimes, you know, sit with me through it. My mom would talk to me about it. You know, my dad would kind of just do what he could, but he didn't really know what to do. Nobody knew what yeah. to do. And then it got so bad that they were, my, I remember my, my mother and my sister sitting me down and saying, you know, you need to go to a therapist. Like you need to do something. This is not, this is not good. And I didn't really want to, but I also knew they were worried and didn't want, you know, didn't want to worry them. So I went and then I started in therapy for a year. Were you worried? I don't, you know, it's a good question. I was never worried. I would, I I did at some point have the thought I want to die would come up because I would just be so, it was so painful. It was like a visceral pain. I could just, it was like an emptiness in my chest. Yeah. This void. And I just, it was so painful and it wouldn't let up. And so I was never, I always knew I didn't want to die. So, so I was fortunate because I never lost that perspective. It felt like that was, it was so, the feelings were so strong and the pain was so intense that death was the only thing I could imagine that could stop it. Um, Because I I tried everything I knew. Well, and it's so interesting because so many people associate pain with physical pain. Mm-hmm. Right. And what you're describing is this sort of heart pain or a psychic pain that was still really painful. Right. Mm-hmm. It still hurt enough to want to die yeah. to get out of it. Yeah. Right. But it's not like, you know, it was a sharp pain. It's right. a very different kind of pain. It is. It is. Um, and yet also very hard to, to tolerate. Yes. Um, yeah. And so I wasn't worried because I knew I, well, I should say for most of the time, I wasn't worried. I think towards the end, I did start to get scared because nothing was making it better. Even in therapy, I was learning a lot about myself. I started to see how many negative beliefs I had and kind of how I always doubted myself and didn't give myself credit for things and just always was second guessing myself. And I saw that, but I didn't feel any better. And so I think towards the end, I did start to get scared not that I was going to do something but just that um, I wouldn't be able to tolerate it but I just wouldn't like I just knew I was at the end of my rope kind of yeah and so when Um, you say at the end you mean at the end of that first year of therapy yeah and this is kind of the towards the end of high school okay when this happened so I did I I didn't know you know do I need to go do I have to go to the hospital like it there weren't a lot of options that like they could help and so then I did start to get a little scared so, and did you, while this was going on, were you still going through high school and going through the motions? Did you still have friends? Did you kind of look like a normal high school kid? I did. Yeah. And I've always been a high achiever. I never like spent days in bed. That was not something that I really allowed myself to do. And I was one of the people who could get myself out of bed. That's my depression didn't keep me from doing that. But what it did was I would go through the motions. I mean, I was, I was on sports teams. I was doing everything. I was getting good grades. But it was just, it was hollow. It was like I was always, the way I sometimes describe it, it's like I was always on the outside looking in. There was like mm-hmm. glass, it was like there was glass and I just couldn't get, couldn't feel any of the things. I knew there were good things in my life. You know, I had friends, yeah. 
but I couldn't feel any of their love or affection for me. And I couldn't yeah. feel any of the things I, I knew I should be feeling, you know, or I thought I should be feeling. I just couldn't, I couldn't. And instead I just felt that kind of, that just despair. Yeah. So, you know, I, I have a number of members of my family who suffer from depression and what we've come to identify is that the key to depression is not about when you're sad or upset or unhappy when things are bad. It's about feeling lost and sad and empty when things are good, mm-hmm. right? Like, and you're still feeling this sense of this hole. And that's, that's what really is depression. Like it kind of makes sense if things aren't going well to be sad or upset or, you know, right. um, but when you're surrounded by love and light and activity and still feeling that loss, that's, that's really what depression is. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did you go to college? Like how did it start to shift as you got older? Yeah. So right before I went to college, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling any better. And my therapist suggested that I go on medication, which I had tried to avoid at that point, mostly out of fear. I just, I had a lot of fear about how it was going to affect me. Can you talk about that for just a second? Like, so you've gone through this really intense depression and still we're resisting medication. What was going on in your head then? I think I was just scared. I've never liked the idea of putting, you know, foreign substances in my body. I was scared, you know, I'm, I'm, Control. I like to have control. <laughs> That's a right. big issue for me. So yeah. not having control, not knowing how it was going to affect me, and it would be in my body, in my brain. I mean, talk about you know having to let go of control. Um, so that was scary, and um, and the idea of being dependent on something else always you know made me nervous. And uh, I just yeah, I just it was it was scary. It was unknown. Right. And I I think we hear that from a lot of teenagers. Like, I want to be able to do this by myself. I should be able to do this by myself. I shouldn't need. Right. Right. And what I, what I came to, because eventually I did find other things that helped. And I learned, um, I learned a lot about my depression. And eventually I, eventually a long time later, I went off. But what I, what I learned is that, yeah, it's about compassion and kindness and what's going to help, what's going to be the the kindest thing I can do for myself right now. And sometimes medication gives us what we need to be able to then do other work that will help us in the long term. Um, But we just don't have the resources without that help. And, and I do think that medication, you know, for me may have, well, I I don't want to be really dramatic, but it was, it came to me in a key moment when I was getting really scared and I didn't know, I didn't have other options. I didn't know what else to do. And I, I went on meds. The first medication I took didn't work. Yeah. Interestingly. Which is not uncommon. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I thought it did because I went on a backpacking trip for a few weeks and I felt so much better. Great. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine how that worked. Yeah. And then um, I got back and I realized, oh no, it's just, it was being in the woods for three weeks. That's what helped me. So then I went, but then I tried a different medication and that one, um, it just, you know, after the waiting period, it just kind of dissipated and I didn't feel depressed anymore. And I went to college and I was, you know, it was my old, my old self without the depression. Well, we've just sort of gotten out of high school, started medication, which what I like to say is it rounds the corners. And as you said so beautifully, what sometimes when we need medication, our brains need these chemicals, right? We need the medication to enable us to learn the strategies and learn ways to help us manage these complex conditions. So you sort of, you went to college to pick it up from there. We have about, you know, five, 10 minutes left. So what's next? What happened next? Yeah. So I went to college and, um, you know, did that, wasn't depressed, um, but I never liked being, the idea of being on medication. So I try to go off periodically. And um, every time the kind of depression and anxiety would creep back in, I would start having, you know, close to panic attacks. 
And then, so I'd go back on quickly. And then one time when I was 25, I had gotten accepted to grad school, to an MBA program, and I had a couple months before I started. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I decided to go home, live with my parents, just be really nurtured and really go off the right way, like really taper and eat well and exercise and get acupuncture and all that good stuff. And so I tried, I did that. Again, I got, you know, really anxious, started having panic attacks once I was off the meds. And um, when I went back, I was living in San Francisco at the time. When I went back to San Francisco, I was so desperate that I, I went to start, looked for a therapist out there and started okay. going to therapy again. Okay. Ended, ended up going back on the meds. They didn't do the same thing they did before. Even when I switched, you know, tried to find new ones, they just kind of took the edge off a little bit which was helpful, but it didn't, yeah. it didn't make it go away like before. So I kind of had to. You had to marshal your resources. Yeah. 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 So yeah. what does help you manage or what, what did you learn that helps you manage these complex issues? Yeah. So that time when I was back in therapy, I learned a lot about my feelings. So my, a lot of my, my anxiety was coming because I was having feelings that were too intense for me to kind of manage or handle or feel okay with. And so they would just show up as the, the energy of the, and the, the sensations of the feelings in my body would show up as anxiety. And then eventually it would flip to depression. And so what I learned is that paying attention to my emotions, letting myself feel them, like really giving myself permission to feel whatever it is, no matter how strong, no matter how awkward, no matter how embarrassing I feel like it is, allowing them to flow that reduced my anxiety and felt how me feel better. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a piece years ago. There's like emotions need their time on the surface. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like if we bottle it down, it's just eventually it's going to come out in, in uglier ways. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And then just a lot of um, work around self-acceptance and, uh, you know, recovering from perfectionism. Um, those were all tied together in the kind of the beginning so when you say work amount, this is work you were doing with the therapist. With a therapist, I also started doing um, Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program for families and friends of alcoholics, and that helped me a lot. I had a okay. sponsor there, helped a lot, and just the community. I was in, you know, as an individual therapy. I was in group therapy. I was doing basically everything I could get my hands on. Um, so you're doing the work. I mean, yeah. it's, it, it takes work to manage yeah. these issues and to be able to live fully with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What I kind of came to over over the years, and it did take, you know, a long time and years, I had, in addition to being disconnected from myself, not feeling my emotions fully and, and trying to, you know, only accepting certain parts of myself and then banishing the others, I had also lost disconnection to some loves of mine, some early loves. And from very young, I loved nature and animals and writing, creative writing. And I had kind of put all of those things to the side. Not that I never engaged with them, but I had done kind of more of what society had encouraged me to do. And so I came to see that the more I listened to my inner voice and what the things that make me come alive and where I'm naturally drawn, that the more I pay attention to those and express those and embrace those and follow that kind of inner guiding voice, the less depression and anxiety show up for me. So they kind of become yeah. this GPS system for me, helping me to stay on my own path rather than trying to be on someone I love else's. that. What a great way to put it. So we just have a few minutes left. I want to ask you, what do you wish in hindsight? What do you wish your parents had known or understood in the early years when you were struggling with this? Because you know so much more now than, than any of you did then. What would it have helped for them to have known? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think they could have done anything very differently because it was something that I needed to go through and learn. But I do think um, one thing that really helped was when they 
let me feel what I was feeling. So they didn't always try to make me feel better or happy or, you know, they let me have my despair when that was there. They let me cry when I needed to cry. But they also held for me the idea and the vision that I was not broken and that I was not hopeless, that I was strong, that I was, this was me and my psyche and my body trying to find health. And so they held that possibility open for me and really saw me as, you know, a, a whole, strong, healthy person going through a tough time. Beautiful. So their vision for you allowed you to have a vision, even if you didn't necessarily have it for yourself. Yeah. And even if I didn't 100% believe it at the time, or, you know, that yeah. it, there was, it created it in some part of me that I could go back to and hold yeah. on to. Yeah. I often say to parents that our job is to hold the vision for our kids until they can hold it for themselves. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. it's so, there's so much in our, in our, culture that sees depression and anxiety as you're broken. There's something wrong yeah. with you. It's a defect. Yeah. And um, to see that it was actually part of me seeking to be well and that I actually had a lot of strength and, and all of that stuff. And it was just, I needed to work some things out was really, really helpful. It's a much, it's yeah. a much better identity. approach to, to doing it. Yeah. yeah. So, so what message do you have? I've got two quick questions to wrap up. What messages do you have for other kids who might be listening to this, who might be struggling with anxiety and depression? or other complex issues. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is just trying to be as kind and gentle with yourself as possible because it's a really, really hard thing to go through. Get help from other people. From You can't do it alone. Like I wouldn't have been able to do any of this on my own. And do the work and and just there there is hope. It takes a long time. But um, for me, when I learned how to listen to the depression, I learned a lot from it. And I am so grateful for the things that I learned because I think my life is a much richer, freer, uh, more joyful life because of what I learned from it. So it, and it takes a lot of time to learn how, what works for you. Yeah. But learn what works for you, right? Learn Go, what works for you. Do the work. Yeah. 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 And do you have a final message to parents? Yeah. Just have faith in your, your children's strength to get through it and then just love them as best you can, you know, that it's without expectation of what it should look like as they go through this. It can be really messy and, and awful at times, but that doesn't mean that, that they're not strong or that they're not making their way through it. Have you had conversations with your parents about what they were feeling, like the, the fear that they had for you? Um, a little bit, yeah. I didn't realize at the time how scared they were. Yeah, <laughs> sure. How worried they were. <laughs> so I know they were really worried and I think felt pretty pretty helpless in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and so for parents out there listening to know that that is normal, right? Yeah, that, you're, um, yeah, you can't really control what happens. All you can con- do is control how you respond, how you love, how you support, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things you can do for someone who's having such a hard time is just love them no matter what is happening, when, no matter what it looks like, you know, no matter what, if you can just love them, then they, they can start to see that model and hopefully learn to love themselves no matter what is happening. That's great. But it, let's close on that. It was a perfect closing statement. Thank you, Meredith, for, for sharing yourself, for being transparent and sharing your story um, in service of others. Our guest has been Meredith Walters, a complex kid, now a complex, then a complex young adult, now a complex adult. Thanks for being here. Take care, everybody. You can find more resources on impactadhd.com, your online resource for parents and teachers of complex kids. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. 
If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.